Well, good morning again. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 19. It will be brought up on the screen bit by bit if you haven't got a Bible, so that, that's great. There are many challenges in life, aren't there? And we can get discouraged and beaten down. Um, but God is with us. His Holy Spirit's with us. It was a year ago today that our, uh, one of our members, Norma Terry, died. And we were grieved by that. There are things when we feel defeated, as it were, and other times when our prayers are answered, like the rain is stopped. And, uh, but we have to hold fast to God through all those experiences. And we're starting a series for the autumn today of our teaching to do with the Word and the Spirit. We are Christians here in this church. We follow Christ, and we believe that there are two emphases that are good to be held together, an emphasis on the Word of God, the Bible, and what it is for us, and on the Spirit of God who comes and brings the Word to us and acts in our lives. So Christian people are those who have God as their Father, but how do we Christians know that we have God as our Father? Well, we know this, we know we're forgiven and that we're adopted because we find we're told it in the Bible and because the Holy Spirit conveys that knowledge to us and makes it real to us. And so we want to think about this through the autumn, that we, become, that we grow in our capacity to welcome God's Word and to honour the presence of the Holy Spirit. I love to worship, and so thank you, band, for leading us this morning. I, I love to sing to God. It's a good thing to do, isn't it? And um, so sometimes in the week, I'm, like many of you, I'm sure I listen to worship music, and uh, sometimes I watch it on YouTube, because there's something engaging about our... Um, uh, when it engages your eyes as well as your ears, isn't it? Although as well, sometimes you, I just have it on YouTube playing, I'm actually doing something else on the computer. And uh, it's great. One, one of the songs we learned recently is that What a Beautiful Name It Is, a hill song. That's been the YouTube version of that's been viewed 56 million times. I guess it's not 56 million separate people, but you know, it's probably me twice amongst that sort of thing. Um, Bethel song I love, It Is Well With Your Soul, 31 million times. But of course that really pales into insignificance in terms of numbers. When you look up Ed Sheeran or Adele or Taylor Swift, people like that, some of their songs have 2 billion views. The record is a pop song, a Spanish language pop song that has over 3 billion views. That's a lot of views, isn't it? And... uh, but just think about Taylor Swift, she just released a single this week. I think they said the single, the video of the single was the most viewed on day one on YouTube of any single to date. We live in a very visual video culture, don't we? And um, I, I heard a program about Taylor Swift and they interviewed the guy who was her um, guitar teacher when she was a child. She was born in Pennsylvania. And, um, and he could see she was very good. And her father was talking with the guitar teacher one day. And he, ta- he just said this to the dad. He said, you know in America the best chocolate bar is called a Hershey bar? You, you, you know this? That's the big... That's the, everyone in Britain thinks American chocolate's rubbish, by the way, which it may well be. I've never eaten a Hershey bar. But for me, Cadbury's is the, the chocolate to eat. But in America, it's Hershey bars. And, and the guitar teacher told Taylor Swift's dad... In Hershey, they make bars. In Detroit, they make cars. In Nashville, they make stars. Right? 
And the, the guitar teacher said, a few months later, Taylor Swift's dad came and said, uh, hey, we're going to Nashville. Oh, he says, great, we're, how long? Oh, we're moving there, right? And so Taylor Swift, he moved the family. Taylor Swift's dad moved his family down near Nashville when she was 14 years old and not long after she was signed and she's now this international star, whatever you think of her music. Um, you know, when I heard that story actually on the radio, it made me think, wow, that, that guy did that because he had a vision, a, for, he saw the talents in his daughter. What, what, what great steps have I taken because of a sense of call in my life? Right? I've got what God has said. Just, it just kind of challenged me to think that and maybe invite you to reflect on that. Anyway, in Nashville, apparently, they make stars. But it was God who made the stars. Right? And uh, so if we bring the slide up, Elspeth, and go to the next slide. So this is, I've shown this before, but I do find this extraordinary. This is the size of Earth, and there are several planets in our solar system that are smaller than Earth, and the Earth is quite big, isn't it, really? So then if we go to the next slide, you see Earth is really quite small compared to Neptune, Uranus, Saturn, or Jupiter. It's very exciting, all this news from Saturn and the Cassini probe, isn't it? Do you follow that at all? It's very exciting what they're discovering. Then the next slide, then Earth is that tiny little dot there, and then you get Jupiter. Sorry, no, the next the slide before. And then the, our Sun is far greater in size than our Earth, yes? You can see the difference in size. Then the next slide puts our Sun at the left-hand side. Then the, there's a star called Sirius. Then there's a star called Pollux and then a star called Arcturus. Look at the difference in size. Then we move on to the next slide. Okay, so then Arcturus is down near the bottom. Can you see it's a, quite a small one? I should have a pointer. Rigel is that much bigger. Then Aldebaran, then Betelgeuse, famous from um, that book, and, um, and then Antares. Look at the size of it compared to what Earth is. These are the sizes of... Uh, objects in, in astronomy and the spaces between them are astronomical in size that's what we say so uh, there's one more slide I think this is a picture of the so-called sombrero galaxy it's 31 million light years away and this is only 30% as big as our own galaxy which is the Milky Way right Milky Way is not a chocolate bar it's or, it is actually the name of our galaxy. The Sombrero galaxy is only 30% as big as the galaxy that we're part of. But in the Sombrero galaxy, it contains several hundred billion stars. And there are billions of galaxies. Now, I don't know about you, but I start to feel very small, just like we sung in that song, you know, looking up to sky. We, when you actually consider the vastness of space, we feel very, very small. So I want to read Psalm 19 to us, because it begins with David, who'd been a shepherd, he'd been out at night on the hills looking after the sheep, and this is a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. 
It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course, like Mo Farah or Usain Bolt. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Nothing is hidden from its heat, literally. And then he jumps to another subject. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father God, we pray that your light would come to us, that we would receive refreshing and joy and all these good things that you declare to us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Would it be possible to shut the front door because we're getting a lot of noise um, and uh, that would be good. Thank you. So, um, I want us to see in this uh, sort of three sections in this psalm that David encountered God through the skies. David encountered, because it's a psalm of King David, that's why I'm saying David. He encountered God through the skies. He encountered God through the scripture. And he encountered God uh, in himself in the third section. So he encountered God through the skies. We had a guy in the church called Rob once, and his job is he works testing blood. And actually his journey to find God started when he looked down a microscope one day, as he often did, but this day he looked down at the blood and he thought there has got to be a designer behind this. And so he started looking for God. And, um, uh, but David here doesn't look in that direction. He doesn't look at biology or geology or chemistry or anything like that. It's astronomy that he talk, points to in this psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his work. He is declaring with... Uh, he uses lots of these words. The, the heavens, the creation, declares, it proclaims. Verse, verse 2, uh, it, it pours forth speech, it reveals knowledge. There's something that of, an, of a light that comes from the creation itself that points us to the existence of, of, of a God. And... Uh, and then it gets very metaphorical in the end of verse 4. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. So he's picturing, picturing the wedding morning. Here's the bridegroom. He's going to go and find his bride. Nothing's going to put him off from arriving at the house of his bride. right? And the sun rises in the morning. And, and apart from one possible episode, the that's recorded in scripture, the sun is, moves, you can't stop it. No one has stopped the movement of the sun through the sky or the, the rotation of the earth, of course, is what makes us f see that movement. And it rises at one end of the heavens and it makes its circuit to the other. And so this, 
These are the skies. Now, imagine this, because if we only looked up in the daytime, you might think there was a kind of ceiling over the world that was sort of blue, had been painted blue. Um, but because we have the night sky, and of course, see, from ancient times, people have seen how all the stars are actually moving across in the night sky. You don't notice it if you glance for a moment, but if you lay there and watch it, they are actually all moving. And you begin to realise, my goodness, there's something vast out there. And so although they didn't have telescopes, they knew there was something vast. So is this universe a credible witness to the existence and greatness of God? Well, Adrian, who's away, he and Stephanie are away this weekend with the family, he's taught this before, and I just looked it up, that the Bible actually teaches that the universe had a beginning, right? Because actually this first section of the psalm is David, who had the, just the first five, his Bible was just the first five books of our Bible, the first five books of the Jewish scripture, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he's like gone back to Genesis, which starts, in the beginning, God made what? The heavens and the earth. He's going back to that and he's recalling how this has started everything. And we need to realise, because now everyone, all the scientists believe in the Big Bang Theory, they also believe there was a beginning. But you only have to go back to the middle of the last century and actually all scientists believe that the universe had no beginning. They thought it was an an eternal universe. And it was actually, the idea of the Big Bang was resisted at first. The idea that the universe had a beginning was resisted. Partly it was resisted because the scientists thought that the Christians will be humiliated because we'll be agreeing that the Bible is right, that the universe had a beginning. But eventually, the evidence mounted up and they realised that it did, in fact, have a beginning, just like the Bible says. And so there was a, a, a physicist called... Arno Penzias. He was awarded the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1978 for discovering the background microwave radiation in the universe, which is one of the strongest evidences that the universe had a beginning. And this guy actually wrote, the best data we have are exactly what I have predicted. Sorry, the best data we have are exactly what I would have predicted had I nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. That's what this Nobel Prize-winning physicist said. In other words, what he discovered by actually discovering background radiation was what he said you would have predicted from reading the Bible. And there's this incredible fine-tuning which Adrian can... Uh, points to you in much greater detail of the whole cosmos that points to the existence of an intelligent creator. The same physicist said this, astronomy leads us to a unique event, a universe which was created out of nothing, one with the very delicate balance needed to provide exactly the right conditions required to permit life, and one which has an underlying, one might almost say, supernatural plan. That's what he said. And another uh, physicist said, it seems as though someone has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming. And so if you talk to Adrian, you can find out about a lot of those details. The point I'm wanting to draw from this is we can sometimes look down on ancient people to say, oh, they were very simple in the old days. They were a bit stupid. They didn't know all the stuff we know. We've advanced way beyond them. Of course, they had these rather uh, you know, childish views of things. We've grown up now. Well, friends, actually, the truth is 
we have not grown up beyond what the Bible describes. Actually, we have even better evidence to marvel at the wonder of creation than David did because all the evidence shows how wonderful it is. And this creation then speaks, as King David says, it declares, it proclaims. He says, yes, of course, verse 3, the heavens have no speech, they use no words, no sound is actually heard, but listen, folks, can't you see God's glory in this? And uh, so whether you're American or English or Russian or Arabic, whether you're Chinese or Nigerian or um, Zulu or, or whatever, knowledge is being revealed to us and God's glory is being displayed. And of course, the truth is we don't always want to hear or see what it is Announcing Hundreds of millions of dollars have been spent listening for signals from space to find out if there is intelligent life in the universe. When actually you just need to, if you would just open your eyes on a night sky or simply look at an apple or something like that, surely you have to conclude there must be intelligent life in the universe other than us. And it's God. So... Um, Picking up probably on this very psalm, probably inspired by this psalm, the Apostle Paul in Romans 1, there's a slide for this, says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. There's a kind of deliberate blindness that we kind of have. I certainly know I've had it. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, he says. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. It was G.K. Chesterton who said that one of the ironies of modern life is not that we have nothing to give thanks for, but that we do not know if we have anyone to give thanks to. Well, David knew, yes, we do have someone to give thanks to for all this wonderful creation. He knew the universe was made to show the glory of God and that we were made to see it. And, you know, there's a great sadness in the modern world which uh, we can observe that we, we, are, we are being turned into consumers and producers. We are asked to identify ourselves, not really as human beings, not as sons and daughters of the living God, but entirely as producers and consumers. And so even some of the wonders of creation, we can end up, you know, you get your phone out and, and you want to snap that great photo of you with that mountain behind or that beach or that tree or whatever it is. And so you're there framing the picture and then posting it on Instagram and Facebook. You actually, we, 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 we're turning everything into a consumer item, even the wonderful creation. And... Um, we just need to take care sometimes that we're not so busy framing something for our Facebook page that we're failing to see the wonder and the grandeur of Almighty God in the great creation around us. The other, you know, recently for a week, uh, our two daughters visited home, one who's married with a little baby. And one Sunday morning, I wasn't preaching that Sunday, I, I was up uh, with up and said, oh, you fed her now, can I take her? for a walk in the pram, partly thinking I'll be able to show her off to neighbours or something. It was a lovely sunny morning. But you know, I went for that walk and I thought, yeah, I don't know why I don't walk more often at seven o'clock in the morning. It was a lovely sunny morning. It was just wonderful out there. And I had this lovely little newborn, oh, she's five and a half months old. It's just beautiful to look at, you know. And you're just seeing the glory of God, a lovely child, the sunny morning. 
And you know, I never saw anyone on my 40-minute walk just walking, just walking around Ottershaw and no, didn't see anybody. And I was thinking, I was kind of judging, thinking, God, other people are so, you know, they're so caught up with their things. They're not like me out here enjoying. And then I thought, but I never hardly do this either. Yeah? It was just the fact of a, my granddaughter being there. I do occasionally, actually, but it's, it's very rare. Isn't this crazy? Again, G.K. Chesterton, he says this, the world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. Right? There's loads of wonders in this world, in this universe, but do you have wonder? The stars can reveal God's paths, power and intelligence, but they cannot reveal to us whether God is kind or not, whether he's joyful or not, whether he's moral or not. And it's because God wanted to reveal himself more fully that he has inspired prophets to write down messages from him. And that's what David turns to next, verse 7. The law of the Lord. And here you see he moves to God's personal name. In the first few verses, do I need to change to a different mic or is this okay? Um, so he says, the law of the Lord. He goes, when you see Lord in capital letters in the Old Testament, it's translating Yahweh, Jehovah, God's personal name. So that first section from one to six, he just talks about God. Because by looking at the creation, I think you can pretty well decide there must be an intelligent creator. But that just gets you to God. And now he's moving on. There's, we, need, we need to know something more about God. There's a God who's, this God has revealed himself in the Old Testament by the name Jehovah in the New Testament, that there is three. There's God the Father, Jehovah, God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So we have, um, he says here, the law of Yahweh is perfect, refreshing the soul. I, I don't know when, when you read these things, what you expect this to say, because I, I think things like laws and statutes, precepts and commands, most people in 21st century Western world don't, don't think, oh yes, I, I really thrill to hear about laws and precepts and commands. Do, am, I, am I right or wrong? I mean, if it read this, my iPhone is perfect, refreshing the soul. My Google is perfect, making wise the simple. My girlfriend is right giving joy to the heart. My TV is radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of trolls is pure, enduring forever. The rules of football are firm and altogether righteous. That, that I can resonate with that, yeah. Um, but instead, we're told all this stuff about the law and the statutes and the precepts of the Lord. And... It takes, therefore, it's, it's inviting us to go on a journey, to think, why do we find this so alien, and yet David found it such a rejoicing thing? And you, we need to ask ourselves that question. Why is this so alien to us? And we can either decide, well, we're so much more superior. That was 3,000 years ago. They were a bit stupid and ignorant then. We know better now. Or we might decide, hey, maybe there's wisdom here from someone 3,000 years ago. Because his language is quite lavish, isn't it? It refreshes the soul. We'd like that, wouldn't we? He says it, it makes wise the simple. Mm, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not simple. But even there, the challenge is relevant, isn't it? Well, 
Could it be that I'm, I've not arrived at the pinnacle of wisdom and maybe I am simple in God's eyes and I need some wisdom from him? Isn't that just possibly true? And then it gives joy to the heart. I think, oh yes, I'd like... Oh, just, when you just let go of all that tension inside and think, oh yeah, I'd like some of that joy in the heart and light to the eyes. Oh, that sounds good too. There's a lot of good things can come from the precepts and the statutes and the commands and the laws and the decrees of God. So let us be open to these things. And note they all come from the Lord. It's the, this isn't the law of the land. It's the law of the Lord. The statutes of the Lord. The precepts of the Lord. The commands of the Lord. The decrees of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And see how these words are so powerful. It's not that it's a, a word about joy. This word actually gives joy. Can you hear that? It actually gives joy. It actually conveys something to you that is not there now or could be there in greater measure. It conveys it to you. It gives light to the eyes. It's not just that the word of God is a light, though it is a light. It actually illuminates you. It brings light to you. I, I know there was a day when I read the Bible and it meant nothing to me. I, I was been emptying some stuff out of the loft and found some old school books and I see where I studied had to do religious studies at school or whatever it was called then and um, I had no light from it and then one day light came from scripture it like blazed forth and suddenly it made sense he can do that for anyone in here if he has not done it for you already and give light to your eyes so I don't know about you, I don't know how much you prize the Bible, but as we go through this autumn, I want you to prize scripture terrifically. See, look at verse 10 then. They're more precious, these decrees, these commands, these things, they're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. I don't know, sometimes if you watch the right news, you can probably see pictures of people who've won the lottery and they've got a great big piece of a great big check with their lottery winnings printed out and lotto on the corner um, with their little thing play makes it possible I've never played and uh, because by the grace of God I've begun to realise that the promise of God is better than a lottery win that's what David says not an extraordinary readjustment of values to have experienced that it's better to have the scripture than to win the lottery. I wonder if we really think that. If David had come to that discovery. And then he says, they're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. I've, I've just bought this jar of honey this morning from Helen Bunklock. Local honey. It's, it's delicious. It's fantastic stuff. And if you speak to Paul and Helen, they'll tell you how wonderful honey is. You know, I'm a governor at the local hospital. They use honey in treating some wounds. They actually use honey in treating wounds in the health service, right? Because it really does actually greatly help. And honey, of course, has been known for thousands of years. And they didn't have Mars bars or, you know, Magnum bars or whatever. This, this was 
Along with dates, I reckon dates are like sweets, really, aren't they? You know, some dried fruits and stuff. But these were the sweeties of their day. And so they were highly prized things. I don't know when cultivation of bees in hives started, and probably Paul and Helen might know that, but people had to go and basically find wild bees and then nick their honey. I guess it was a little bit risky, don't you? Climbing trees, other stuff like that. And then this is the... This is one of the honeycombs, extraordinary wax structures that the bees construct from from one of Paul and Helen's hives. This one's had the honey taken out of it, otherwise it would be sticky. And I would find that unbearably difficult because I hate to be sticky. Um, But um, honey is very sticky, isn't it? So, So honey is like sweets. And David says the word of God, the promises, the commands of God, they're sweeter than honey. Honey straight from the honeycomb. Just imagine when you've just discovered that. Maybe you were going along, you were hunting for honey, you found one, you you steal it from the bees, and then you're licking your fingers, and it's, wow, that's just so good. That is what scripture is like. Now, I think for some of you, you you might be thinking, oh my goodness, the Bible's like poison. It's like, you may not think that badly of it, or you just may think of it as something very hard and difficult. Or David is pointing a different way to us. He's saying, no, there's, there's something, this is better than gold, it is better than honey. It is good, good stuff. So it refreshes the soul and it does good to you. Right? So honey has many, many benefits, as I say, that you can learn about. In fact, I've even read, you know, if, you're broke, if your smartphone screen is cracked, rub honey on it. Yeah. No, I'm teasing you. But it's good. So, so, so it's honey. You know, they've even found that when they mummified pharaohs in ancient Egypt, honey was one of the ingredients. And you know, they would then put into the tomb with the mummified pharaoh things that they thought would be useful to them on their afterlife journey as they envisaged it. They used to put jars of honey in there. And they've been found 3,000 years later. And although the honey has crystallized, it was still entirely edible. Because there is no microorganism, almost no microorganism that will grow in honey. It's naturally antiseptic. It's incredibly preservative. It brings healing. It's good. It preserves what's good. What a wonderful thing. That's what the Bible is like for us. It is preservative. It is healing. It is good for us. Um, The psalmist says, you know, I would have perished in my affliction if it wasn't for your word. So it will sustain you. I can think of periods in my life, I remember coming to Psalm 23 and, and a reading, you know, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of my life. And living on that, that phrase when I felt in a very dead-end situation, very trapped, and, and just go day after day going back to that verse, surely goodness and mercy will follow you every day of your life. You can build your life. You can find foundations, solid foundations to stand on in the promises of God and what he says in scripture. The, the day after we'd agreed as elders that we'd do this teaching subject this autumn of word and spirit, the next morning as I was sitting with the Lord, my psalm reading was Psalm 119, which is one of the other psalms about the word of God. And my New Testament reading was 1 Corinthians 12, which is one of the New Testament passages really about life in the spirit. So I thought, okay, Father, that's good. Just felt a little gentle affirmation. I didn't need the affirmation, but it's just, I find scripture does that. It's wonderful. So 
We want to win faith in God's word, to cause us to fall in love with it, to, to love it, to increase our appetite for it. If it's like honey, I could eat more. I probably want to eat more than is good for me. But you can't, well, I think you can be, obs- religious obsession is obviously a prob- potentially a mental health condition. But good exposure to the word of God is very important for us. So, of course, as David does this, he's looked away at the skies and seen something of God's glory. He's looked into the scripture and seen how it refreshes and blesses him. And so as we get towards the end of the psalm, in verse 11, he actually starts to pray. He actually starts to think, if this, this God is so great and he's so holy, I wonder how he sees me. And so he says, by them, by these um, commands and precepts, your, your servant is warned. He, he's speaking to God now. Your, your servant, he's identifying as the servant of God. He says, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. That's encouraging, isn't it? There's great reward in keeping scripture, in seeing his commands and going often. There is great reward in that. I remember when my grandmother was about 80, reading in scripture something in Isaiah, and it made me stir, you know, I should be attentive in visiting my grandmother. I shouldn't neglect my own kith and kin. And so I tried to visit her every week. I didn't know she was going to live to 103. (laughs) But I tried to keep what God had started I I, I believe that was a good thing to do and I believe there is reward when we follow what scripture inspires in us. And so he then says, but who can discern their own errors? How how do I, 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 he begins to have that kind of humility of whether he can see himself clearly and he he makes a prayer then, forgive my hidden faults in verse 12. What a good prayer to pray doesn't justify himself. He says, forgive my hidden faults. There's probably things I've done I didn't realize I've done. I pray for my daughters like that sometimes. Father, I don't know what they're up to, but I pray you'll forgive even the the errors they're getting into. Please protect them from those. Yeah. And then verse 13, keep your servant also from willful sins. Do you know sometimes we get into a right bolshy mood and we really start to rebel. Do you ever get like that? You, 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 know, you just see a red fog and you're determined to win. You know, it could be as simple as that you're beside this other car at the traffic lights and he looks like a bit of a racy guy and he's kind of, you've got a bit knocked by him. He cut you up further back. So you're going to beat him off that traffic light. Some of you just don't get that at all. <laughs> Others of you do get it. But we can have things like this where something happens, we get into some conflict and and the red mist descends and we're just going to win. We are going to win here. We're going to beat the other guy more than he beats us, maybe metaphorically. And we need to pray prayers like this. May they not rule over me. Because the thing is, if, if you obey sin, you become the slave of sin. And to be a slave of sin is a terrible place to be. What, a, what an insightful prayer to make. May, may, may these willful sins not, yes indeed, don't let sin become a ruler over you. But thank God there is a rescuer, the saviour we've been singing about, who can rescue us from the slavery to sin. And then he says, then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. You know, if David was writing this psalm now, he'd know there's another bit of the story. Because in these last days, God has spoken through his son more perfectly and more fully. And 
in his son, we have learned how completely God wants to forgive. Already David in verse 12 is praying, forgive my hidden faults. He knew that God wanted to be merciful. But in Christ we know how much more completely that is true. That God is holy, but he's also merciful. And therefore we have hope. And so David sees this and he's able to humble himself. I find even reading these things is... is Salutary. It's it brings healing and health to me. You, you know, I, I, I can quite often t- kind of find something and assume it's Elspeth's fault at, at home. Oh, look what you did! And then she finds proof that it was me that did it. And there's such a ready assumption that she's the one at fault and I'm the perfect one. I wonder if any of you are in relationships like that where whatever happens, you're quite confident you're the perfect one and the other is to blame. Do you know a psalm like this where David gets before God and starts to honestly contemplate the holy God and think, wow, I wonder how he... I've looked at him in the creation. I've looked at him in the scripture. I wonder how he sees me. And a bit of humility comes. And so he finishes with this prayer. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He knows he belongs to God. Isn't that lovely? He knows that he's my rock. He's my redeemer. He's quite assured of that. He's standing with faith and confidence. And his petition is with faith that God would answer this, as he has done in our lives very often. Maybe not yours yet. Maybe you need to pray this prayer. That the words I speak, that the attitudes and the thoughts, all those judgments and stuff that happen up here, he's giving them to God and saying, okay, God, I want you to come just transform all this stuff. Because God can do that kind of thing. He can take the foul language out of your mouth and it can be gone. He can do that. Your your negativity, your bad-mouthing other people, God can take that away from you. He can remove this from us and make us, give us a different future. So I want to ask you to sit quietly now felt we should have some silence. You might want to think about some marvellous natural thing in which you could see the glory of God. Or maybe there's some scripture or even these scriptures you would just reread. this week, could you maybe even revisit this psalm several times? Maybe the word of God has grown unpalatable to you. It doesn't feel like honey at all, but like marmite or something you don't like. Brussels sprouts. The gristly bit on that joint that you always leave. Is that what the word of God feels like to you? 
Just bring that to God, bring that to the cross. Be willing to have your thoughts changed so that you view it as like honey again. Or maybe for the first time. Look up to heaven right now. So Holy Spirit, come.